0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today, we have a guest speaker. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn in the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. This is God's holy word, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Thank you so much. uh, Came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5000. On the next day the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and great <clears throat> and Caiaphas sorry and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were the the high great sorry sorry the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst they inquired, "By what power or by what name do you do this?" Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, "Rulers of the people and elders, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred to one another, saying, "'What shall we do with these men?' For that a notable sign has been performed among them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning for your word. Lord, your word has uh, power. Your word is living. It is your word um, that brings Life, it is your word that brings light, and so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that now, that you would speak through me, through your word, and that you would illuminate our hearts, that you would open our minds to receive the truth of your word for your glory, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, whenever sports season's going on, playoff season especially, um, people seem to, to get bold about their team seem to talk boldly about their team. I remember not to pick on anybody in particular, but I'm going to. I remember here uh, just several weeks ago, right? The Cowboys fans really boldly talking about their team and then not so boldly after they played the 49ers, right? (laughs) And just so you know, I'm not picking on you. I'm from Detroit originally, uh, and it's one of the hardest jobs in an NFL fandom is to be a Lions fan. Uh, they've had some greats, they had some, some highs, never won a Super Bowl. Uh, and in 2007, uh, I remember we thought that was that was the year, right? We started 6-0, and and that was the year the Lions were going to go all the way, baby. They're going to win the Super Bowl. And we started talking bold as Lions fans. We started, I remember talking to my friends, uh, talking about, because I had friends that were Green Bay fans. I uh, had friends that were other fans in Michigan. And so, you know, talking about the Lions and... And in, unfortunately, typical lion fashion, they ended up losing the rest of the games uh, that season. I think they won one other one. They went 9-7, and seven, missed the playoffs, and the next year set the record of being 0-16. <laughs> I mean, talk about going from talking bold to not talking at all. <laughs> and today, what we're going to see, though, is, is like in sports, the boldness at which you talk about your team is directly... Proportional to or should be directly proportional to the amount that your team is winning today. We're going to see in this text from Acts 4 that because believers have Jesus' power through the Holy Spirit, the word can be shared with boldness. And unlike the Detroit Lions, Jesus is always victorious. Jesus is always victorious. And we're going to look at six different things we're going to see in our text today that show us this. We're going to look at the place. We're going to look at the people, we're going to look at the power, the proclamation, the persecution, and the prayer. So let's start with the place. Where, where does this story in Acts 4 take place? Did you, did you catch it? Did you catch the location of where this story is taking place? This I'm sure you've seen it in movies. This is something that's common when you're, you're watching a, a movie is the place matters, right? Uh, and there's so many movies, I could use so many analogies, but, uh, but I think of one, uh, Star Wars Episode 7, right? When, when you see a father and a son having a lightsaber battle, I can already tell I'm losing some people, but just stay with me. You have a lightsaber battle on a bridge. You're supposed to be thinking of Episode 5, where there was another battle with a father and a son with lightsabers on a bridge. And I think here, so much deeper, here in Acts 4, we're supposed to recognize that this scene Sounds familiar. This scene should sound familiar. This location should sound familiar. If you go in uh, the Gospels, you can see, for example, in Mark chapter 14. What happens in Mark 14? Well, we have Jesus, and Jesus gets arrested at night and then is taken. And the next morning, all of the chief priests and elders and scribes question him in Jerusalem. What do we have going on right now? Well, Peter and John are arrested at night. They're brought, and the next morning, all of the chief priests and scribes in Jerusalem are questioning them. Now, what's what's the point? What's the author trying to say? And this happens a lot in the Bible. You'll see locations used to try to show us something. When the same location is used, it's trying to show us something. It's either trying to show us a contrast, so saying, look, this happened in this place, but now look at, in this place, this thing is happening. Or, in the Bible. A lot of times the biblical authors, God will use biblical authors to show us this same place where something is happening to show us that something is continuing. Something is continuing. And I think that's what we have here in Acts chapter 4. The author's trying to say, remember, remember back, just I mean, literally, probably just two months ago, remember what, what happened in this same place with these, these same folks in this same scenario, Jesus was questioned, ultimately crucified. And I think what Luke is trying to say is what we've been saying as we've been going through the series. Luke is saying, this is a continuation of all that Jesus began. Like he says in the beginning of Acts, Luke says, I wrote my first book, O Theopolis, everything that Jesus began to do and teach. And the implication in Acts is this is all Jesus continued to do. And the point here in Acts 4 is, look, through Peter and through John, through the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' work is continuing. The place is showing us that God is continuing what he was doing with Jesus in this place through the Holy Spirit. Cool, let's keep looking. So there's this place. What about the people? Who's in this story? Who's in this cast? This is, this is the same cast. If you go back and you look in uh, the story with Jesus and you, look at, you can look in uh, John chapter 18, you can look in Mark 14, You can look at Matthew 26, Luke 22. All of them describe this scene, and all of them describe and name the people that are in this scene. And here's some of the people. You've got an unnamed disciple. Many of the clues point to this being John. Um, It may even be John in Mark 14, who's the disciple that runs away naked. Um, Next, we have, there's no question, we have Peter. Peter. Right? Peter is there. Peter follows Jesus, and Peter is in this scene where Jesus is being questioned um, by the high priests and um, by the chief priests and scribes. <clears throat> who else is in the scene? Well, if we look at the Gospels, we'll see there's actually Annas, who is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who is the great high priest. And it says in those Gospel accounts, all the elders, chief priests, and scribes. What do we see in the people here in the story in Acts 4 we see the same people. There's Annas and Caiaphas and all the chief priests and all the scribes and Peter. And again, if we're assuming John is that other disciple, here's John, all these same people. So what is the author trying to show us? Not only is it the same place, it's the same people. Well, let's look at the types of people that are here. You've got the bad guys, right? If we're thinking about this as a movie, if you're thinking about this as a scene, you've got the bad guys in the story. These are the, the same bad guys. And what are they doing? They're doing the same thing they were doing in the story with Jesus. They're questioning, they're assembling together and they're trying to stop this Jesus movement. They've already, I mean, think about this, right? We, we read this as those who already know the end of this. We've already seen the movie and we're watching it again with our kids, right? So to speak, in the analogy. We're reading this story, we already know the end, but think about the bad guys for a minute. Think about these scribes and these chief priests. Think about Annas and Caiaphas. They're thinking, now we, we just put Jesus to death. I thought, we, I thought we were done with this. They've already, they think, taken out the leader, and now they're trying to just snuff it out. They're trying to just deal with these, this uprising. They're continuing the rejection of Christ. But what about Peter and John? So those are, the, those are the bad guys. The bad guys are the same. They're kind of doing the same bad guy role that they were doing at the scene with Jesus. But what about Peter? What about John? Remember, Peter in the story with Jesus, Peter rejected Jesus. Peter denied knowing Jesus back in the scene with Jesus being questioned. And John, again, if he's that Mark 14 guy, man, he, he runs away naked, right? Not, not, not like great pillars of like, oh, yeah, these guys are with Jesus. But now in Acts 4, what do we see? Peter and John in verse 13 are proclaiming the gospel with boldness. Don't miss this. Same bad guys, and evidently, at least on the outside, the same good guys. They're exactly the same, but different. They're different men. These are different guys. They look the same, but they've been changed. What's different about them? What's causing them to be so bold? Well, I'm glad you asked. That takes us to our, our next point it's the power. Remember, because believers have Jesus' power through the Holy Spirit, the word can be shared with boldness. And I think the hint for this is in the question the leaders ask in verse 7. Let's look at it. Verse 7 says, And when they, that's the leaders, had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? And again, I, I don't think we can overdo this in this passage. This is supposed to draw our attention back. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That sounds like a familiar question. Where's this question from? These same leaders asked this same question earlier. You can go back to Mark 11 and you can see these same leaders ask Jesus and they say after he's done miracles and after he has people following him, they ask him and these leaders say, where do you get your authority to do this? Same question they just asked these disciples. They just asked John and Peter. They asked Jesus, where do you get your authority? And when we read it, Although Jesus' answer was clever in the way that he answered these leaders, we get, and the readers get it, that his authority, his power, Jesus' power came from heaven. And here in Acts 4, Peter gives the same answer. And we as the readers, we already know what the answer is, right? Like the police officer in Sandlot, we know when when the police officer is about to give the answer, we know what he's going to say. When he says, how long does the beast need to be locked up? Forever, right? We know Peter is not gonna say that the authority comes from him. We know that Peter's not gonna say it's because he read the, his Bible that day. We know Peter isn't gonna say it's because he's gone a long time without sinning. We know Peter isn't gonna say it's because, because he's been doing 75 hard and he's got his life together, right? But we can often approach life that way, can't we? We can often approach our relationship with the Lord that way. We can often approach the miraculous things we see in scripture and think that the people in the Bible had that power because of their own piety or somehow they made God owe them. No, here Peter gives the answer in Acts 4 that we the readers already know and the leaders are really hoping that Peter doesn't give and that is exactly what he gives in verse 8 through 11. Listen to what he says. Rulers of the people and elders... If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. What power does Peter say made this lame man walk? It's Jesus' power. It's Jesus' authority, his name that made this man walk. Don't miss that. Peter doesn't have special power. Yes, he had a unique office. Yes, he had a unique role. But Peter has the same power that you and I have today. Peter had Jesus' power through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit at work in us. And so he and John could speak with boldness because the same power Jesus' power was at work in them through the Holy Spirit as the same power that's in work, in, at work uh, within us through the Holy Spirit today. Yes. What else do we see in this passage that shows us the power of Jesus? Well, let's look at the proclamation. Look at verse 11. Listen to what Peter says. He says, "'This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, "'the builders, which has become the cornerstone. "'And there is salvation in no one else, "'for there is no other name under heaven given among men.'" By which we must be saved, and again, this this should sound familiar to us. Jesus quoted the same Old Testament passage when talking to these same bad guys, these same people before his crucifixion. Right after they questioned him about his authority, in Mark eleven, he gives them a parable, and then he quotes this Old Testament passage from Psalm one eighteen to the very same leaders. When Jesus said it, they perceived it, although he taught them in a parable. But Jesus, or but Peter here says it plainly for the readers and plainly for these leaders. And that's to tell them that Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 118, that he is the cornerstone, that he is the principal piece on which a construction was to be made. He is the gate through which the righteous shall enter. This proclamation that Peter makes confirms that all the scripture has been pointing to that Jesus is the central figure That Jesus is what all of scripture has been pointing to. That Jesus is the pinnacle of all scripture. That Jesus has all authority and all power. And now in Acts, Jesus is delegating that authority and that power in his Holy Spirit to his people for the advancement of his word, the advancement and the proclamation of the gospel. That's what we see here in the proclamation is the power of Jesus at work to give these men boldness to speak and preach the gospel. And it seems like the leaders picked up what Peter was laying down. They, they, they want that power. They, they think that they have that power. So in an attempt to exercise their power and stop this proclamation, they come up with a plan. And we see that here, the persecution. Look at verses 13 to 22. <clears throat> now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men and they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus And seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But in order that they may spread no, so that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak So I know I've had a lot of movie references already, but this reminds me of another movie. This reminds me, kids that are in the room, or adults, reminds me of The Incredible Hulk. It reminds me when the, the military who's used to having the power, who's used to having control, is, is a little bit worried about this Hulk, and they feel powerless to stop the Hulk. So they rally all of their troops. They bring all the troops and all the weapons. And what, what does that show, first of all, just in their rallying all the troops, does that, does that show how powerful they are? Does that show how powerful Hulk is when they're trying to gather all of their weapons against this, this guy, this force? It shows how powerful the Hulk is. And they're rallying against, and they, they try to destroy him. And if you've seen the movie, the Hulk ultimately wins in dramatic, effortless fashion, right? He's, like, catching missiles, and, like, it's, like, bounces off him, doesn't even hurt him. Because, after all, the Hulk is the strongest there is in the Marvel Universe. (laughs) How How much more here with Jesus? These same leaders have already crucified Jesus. They think they've stopped him and now they just need to deal with a few insurrectionists and be done with the whole Jesus matter. They don't know that Jesus has risen victorious. They don't know that this is not the tail end of a wild three years. This is the beginning of the unveiling of the kingdom of God. This persecution is not gonna stop because the power of Jesus has not been stopped. It's been spread. The power of Jesus has not been snuffed out. It's been fanned into flame by the promised Holy Spirit who is empowering Peter and John and all the believers with the power of Jesus. The believers are bold and they're confident, not in and of themselves, but they're bold and confident because of Jesus' power at work within them. And this persecution shows that these leaders see that power. They know that power. They're afraid of that power. They try to stop it, and they will not be successful in stopping that power. Look at the last way that we see this power on display is through the prayer. And <clears throat> prayer, we're going to split up into two parts. We're going to split the prayer into praise and petition. Praise and petition. Let's look at this whole prayer again in Acts chapter 4, <clears throat> starting in verse 23. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So I mentioned this before. Um, very, very important. When we see an Old Testament verse referenced in the New Testament, it's, it's not just there as like a, oh, yeah, you know, just we can skip over that. Uh, when you see Old Testament quoted in the New Testament, you got to go back and look at what, what is that Old Testament passage. Because the author is trying to say something to his, to his readers Um, We just saw it earlier with the cornerstone. That's from Psalm 118. And here, this little section, if you see it in your Bible, if it's like mine, it's kind of indented differently. Um, That's a quote from Psalm 2. And we're not going to take time to do it right now, but I would encourage you to go home and read all of Psalm 2. And if you do, Psalm 2 is this uh, picture of this mighty God. And the nations are in vain trying to set themselves up against the Lord And against his anointed. So, what's my point? Well, in their praise, in this part of the prayer, I think what they have in mind is not, oh gosh, oh man, all these people are rising up against us, Lord, please help us. This is getting scary. Now, there's a part we're gonna get to that, but I think what they have in mind is what Psalm 2 says is all of these people are setting themselves against the Lord, but the Lord's gonna be victorious. The Lord is in charge, as we just sang. To him belongs ultimate authority. To him belongs the kingdom. To him belongs all glory and power and dominion. It's not not that they are worried about per- persecution. This isn't Star Wars, right? Where the, the dark and the light are at, at odds and battling. This is more like, again, if I could use the Hulk, this is like where the Hulk grabs Loki and just whips him around the kitchen, right? That's what's going on here. There's, this persecution doesn't stand a chance. These disciples know it. And they, they trust in and their, their hope is in this God of the universe who spoke the universe into existence. And to his anointed Jesus, he cannot be stopped by these powerless leaders. Psalm 2 literally says that those who oppose the Lord's anointed are merely making noise. They're all talk. They're all threats, but ultimately they don't stand a chance. The power belongs to Jesus and to those who turn to him. Now this prayer is mostly that. It's mostly an acknowledgement of the Lord's power and his ultimate victory, but it is still a prayer with a petition. So let's look at the petition. What are the disciples asking for here? They're asking for boldness. Why? Why? Because like the lions, they're not sure who's going to win in the end, right? Like, I don't, just so you know, I don't pray on Sunday before the lions, just don't worry. But are they, are they, are they praying because that, man, we don't know who's going to win. We don't know how it's going to end. No, it's actually because they precisely know who will win in the end that they're praying that they will walk in boldness. They know just as they confess that all power belongs to Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit now is in them, and they want to live and speak in a way that's consistent with that truth. These disciples are filled with Jesus' power, but they still have a real fear of the threats that the leaders made. Prison is still not a fun place. Excommunication, insults, and the like would still be difficult. Even Jesus himself prayed before he went to the cross. How much more do do the disciples need to pray before they face persecution? Not because they don't know who's gonna win, but because they want to be faithful, because they want to be bold. Now, this word boldness could be translated as courage or confidence. And it's courage only makes sense if you understand and know that there's a real danger, that there's a real problem, that there's a real difficulty. And so that's why it's called boldness. They really do have a fear about the things that were threatened, but they have an ultimate trust and confidence, not in themselves but in the power of the risen Jesus who's empowered them with his promised Holy Spirit to proclaim the word, the gospel with boldness. So what? All right, so what? Wow, I can't believe you just asked that. So what? Right? Like, well, we just read that. That's great. But how does it apply to us? What are, what are our points of application? How does this make a difference in our life? Well, I'm glad you asked. I think there's two ways. I've got two points of application application. They go in order. The first one, you, you can't apply the second one without the first one. If you apply the second one without the first one, you have a powerless moralism. But the first one is to believe on and trust in Christ. This Jesus was crucified, verse 10, and raised from the dead by God, verse 10. Jesus is the cornerstone Verse 11, that is, he's the foundation. He's the central part of a sturdy, sure construction. He's what all of the scripture has been pointing to. He's what all of life is for and all of life is about. And so what is your life built on? What is your your life built on? Is it built on money? Is it built on success? Is it built on sports or popularity Or pleasure? There's only one cornerstone, and the Bible tells us that the natural inclination of our heart is to reject this cornerstone, like the leaders here. But don't don't do that. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, verse 12. And all of this was planned before the foundation of the world. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, Come to him, find rest in him. He is a terrifyingly powerful God. He is the only God and his enemies do not stand a chance against him. Do not set yourself as an enemy against him. Run to him and find like the psalmist in Psalm 2 proclaims at the end of Psalm 2, blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And the second point, only if you've trusted in Christ does this second point of application apply to you. If you haven't, again, please, please don't continue to reject Christ. Turn to him. And if you have, if you're trusting in Christ, then I think the best application is to walk out. This is going to come out of left field, but Hebrews 10, 19, 25 has a great summary, I think, of what we're called to walk out. It's got some of the same words of boldness and confidence, and I want to read it for you. Psalm 10, no, Psalm 10, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, that word is the same as boldness, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The boldness, the confidence comes not from our own strength, For our own keeping of God's commands, but by the finished work of Jesus for us and the Holy Spirit at work in us. And what's the fruit of this? That's why I pulled this Hebrews 10 passage. What's the fruit of this? Well, we draw near to God and we draw near to each other, speaking boldly, confidently the confession, the word, the gospel, and meeting together in fellowship. If we go back to Acts 4, you see this. Verse 31, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness and then... Verses 32 to 37 are a beautiful example of this meeting together in fellowship. The believers continue to fellowship with the Lord through the Holy Spirit and with each other, proclaiming the good news of Jesus boldly. And we ought to do the same today. So who is it, who's in your life? Who's in your life that you need to share the gospel boldly? with? Who do you need to share the gospel boldly with. I think Acts 4 is a memorable example of Jesus' power given to believers by the Holy Spirit for the proclamation of the gospel in boldness. And by God's grace, we will do the same. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.